0: Hope everybody's week has been going well. Um, so, we're continuing our series in Lessons in the Life of David. Um, for a little bit of background, our um, David's story can be found in First and Second Samuel and First Chronicles, chapters um, eleven to twenty-nine. So, um, if you want. To kind of fill out your knowledge of david 's story, those are the places to find it um, because we 're going to be kind of taking little snapshots throughout um, so I would encourage you if you've got um, if you 've got some time to to read through, especially first Samuel in particular, um, that 'll give you a lot of the setup um, that we 've kind of been talking through um, and if you were here last week, Tyler um, gave an overview of a really hard season of David's life. Um, when he was young, David was anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. And, but he ended up having to wait about 20 years for that to come to pass. And for the last 10 of those 20 years, David was on the run from Saul, who happened to be his father-in-law and was also the current king of Israel. Saul knew knew that David was anointed to become king of Israel and sought to have David killed rather than Saul losing his throne to David. And in this time, David finds himself living amongst the Philistines, which if you remember from the David and Goliath story, the Philistines are Goliath's people. So these are not like people that he's buddy-buddy with. Um, he's living in caves, so on and so forth. He's basically just doing whatever he can to stay alive and to keep distance between himself and Saul. And as hard as those first 10 years of waiting may have been for David, the last 10 must have been brutal. Um, Because his life has shifted away from a season of not yet to I'm going to die quite literally. And something you need to know about David is David is also the author of many of the Psalms. Um, And he wrote a number of them during this season of his life. Um, So tonight, we're going to look at one of them because we gain a lot of insights about what David is feeling about what's happening to him. And it can give us some insight too in how we might handle Similar seasons, particularly of doubt in our own lives. Because if anything's gonna make you doubt that God is with you, that God cares about you, that God's plan will come to pass in your life, it's your father in law trying to kill you. Um, May you have far better relationships with your in laws than that. Um, Anyway, so, but before I read the psalm that we're gonna be talking through tonight, What you need to know about the psalms is that they're a prayer book or a song book. Um, The psalmists are writing words directly to God most of the time. And we can can and do still use these words in our own prayers and songs to God. Um, Many modern worship songs quote the psalms, and many Christian traditions um, encourage regularly praying the psalms. Personally, I pray Psalm 23 and part of Psalm 103, often as part of my own personal times of prayer. Um, So the Psalms are not just some random book of poetry in the middle of the scriptures. Um, They're an incredibly useful tool to us to help us expand our ideas of prayer and worship to God, um, and also help us broaden our understanding of the types of conversations we might have with God. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, they really run a gamut. And like you'll, imprecatory psalms are like kind of crazy <laughs> That, and really intense, and you're like, what's going on here? Um, so, but that's not one of the psalms that we're reading tonight. Um, so, tonight we're going to be in Psalm 13. And beginning in verses one through four, David says this How long, Lord? pretty intense. Um, So, obviously, David, outside of the situation, we know that this is weighing really, really heavy on his soul, and he's wondering where God is. Um, But the interesting thing in this psalm is that we see David do a couple really great things in dealing with his doubt. Um, he gives us a couple great tools that we might follow in processing doubt in our own lives. First, he owns and expresses what he's feeling to God. He doesn't get down on himself for having the feelings of, of doubt, of despair, of anguish. He, he doesn't ignore them. He faces them. And he tells God what's going on. Often, we can treat doubt like it is a threat to faith, Um, and it's not, or rather, it doesn't have to be. It can be a forge to strengthen our faith, but it depends upon how we deal with it. Just like conflict in relationships can be damaging or or it can make them stronger, it's, it's all in how you deal with it. Avoidance or ignoring doubt is often far more damaging to your faith than just admitting that it's happening. Because then it just festers and becomes bigger when you ignore it. Um, and when you avoid conflict in a relationship, it's the same kind of thing. It, the, the little things pile onto one another and they become this big, bigger and bigger and bigger until you have this massive problem that's so hard to work through because it's just a bunch of little problems piled onto each other. Now, dealing with conflict and also facing doubt can be really scary because you don't always know where you're gonna end up. And it's particularly unnerving when you're talking about facing your doubts um, because what you're talking about is a belief system that you've often built your entire life around. And it can feel like you're opening Pandora's box a little bit. Like if I, if I face this thing, what am I gonna find? Is it gonna spill into more things? Um, but I would argue that dealing with conflict and repairing a relationship is far better than pretending that the problems don't exist. And facing your doubts is far better than avoiding it and hoping it's gonna go away that the risk is worth it. And in owning and expressing his feelings to God, David allows God into the space that he's in and enables his faith to grow deeper. Um, when I think back about, on some of the most formative seasons of my own life, they've been in seasons when I've been experiencing doubt and had significant questions about God. Um, I've known since I was in high school that I wanted to be a pastor. So when I went to college, I went to a ministry training school. And after I graduated, I ended up spending two years working at Lowe's. Um, had many fun conversations with God in that two years, um, which started with, did I just waste a bunch of money to not do the thing that I went to school to do? Um, but but even more than that, the questions were also, can I even hear God accurately? And did you just lead me into this thing to like change course on me? And if if that's the case, then who even are you? Um, And it was really frustrating. (laughs) Um, I've also had similar experiences when dealing with grief and asking God why bad things happen to good people. Um, Asking God why my friend who desperately loved Jesus died in a car accident at 19 years old in our freshman year of college. (laughs) Can honestly tell you I've had some very, very angry conversations with God in my time. Um, And I'm not saying that to like be all edgy. Um, I'm saying that because it's true. Um, But in all of it, I can tell you that in those moments when I've been most honest with God, it has been far more constructive to my faith than if I had just censored myself in a way because when you finally get real with God, when you get honest with God, when you own what you're thinking and what you're feeling, you allow God in and you stop keeping God at a distance. It's like vulnerability in any other relationship. The second tool that David shows us in dealing with his doubts this passage is that he reminds himself of what he does know to be true. The psalm ends in verses five and six by saying, But I trust in your unfailing love, my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Even in all that David doesn't know or understand, he reminds himself of what he is sure of, which in this case is God's love for him, God's salvation, and the ways that God has been good to him in the past. David is, is kind of giving himself some perspective. Um, often, to calm yourself when you're having um, some form of an anxiety attack. Therapists will recommend that you name five things that you can see, four things that you can feel, three things that you can hear, two things that you can smell, and one thing that you can taste. And they recommend this because it draws your focus to the present and it helps you regulate your emotions. It kind of takes you out of the thought spiral that you're in and brings you back to the physical room that you're in. And it doesn't mean that your anxious thoughts are not valid, um, but they're brought into a more proper perspective with what you're actually experiencing in the moment. And being able to give yourself perspective is an incredibly emotionally healthy thing. It doesn't mean that you're ignoring or avoiding your doubts. It simply means that you're not allowing the doubt that you're experiencing to be the whole story you tell yourself. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, this is not easy to do in the moment at all. Sometimes it's incredibly hard to find that one thing you know to be true and to hold on to it. Um, but if you can, it helps keep the doubt from becoming pervasive. It keeps the doubt from being the only thing that you see. You may still have doubts, but you don't only have doubts. In in the seasons of doubt that I've experienced, finding that one thing or those couple things that I didn't know to be true gave me something firm to hold on to while giving myself room to process the doubt. Um, It was like giving myself an anchor to hold on to while also be, then being able to say, okay, but I have this question. So if in a, there was a moment, like when my friend died, when I was like, God, I can't say that you're good. I just can't say it. Like, I, I'm not in an emotional state where I can say this and not absolutely lose it. Um... So but I do know that you're holy. I do know that you're just. I do know that you're righteous. I do know that you love me. And and so it was like until I could say that God was good or until I could sort out my grief and how it related to God's goodness and you know all that spider web of stuff what I could hold on to is God is holy. God loves me. God is with me. You know, those kinds of things. And so, it's just a way of of creating for yourself a bigger picture. One of who God is, but also of the content of your faith. Because your faith is not just the one thing. As easy as it is to focus on that one thing and become consumed by it. So, as you experience seasons of doubt, which if you follow Jesus long enough, you probably will, I want to encourage you to be honest about what you're feeling with God, but also to remind yourself of what you know is true. Um, Those two tools will help carry you through a lot of difficult seasons that you'll experience. But I also want to leave you with a bit of hope here. The hope in all of this is that David isn't remembered for his doubts or even his failures, which are many. He's remembered for being a man after God's own heart. Which tells me that our doubts will be part of our journey but don't necessarily have to be the whole picture. They will mark our faith. They will absolutely be a significant portion of our faith and the story that we tell of our faith, these fires that we go through, um, but they're not the whole picture. And even more so, God is patient with us in our doubts. It's hard to talk about doubt without mentioning Thomas the disciple. When we think about Jesus meeting Thomas after his resurrection, we tend to focus on what Jesus said to Thomas, which is stop doubting. Um, But in that, we also gloss over the fact that Jesus offers Thomas what he thinks he needs to. Jesus first says, if you need to put your hands in my wounds, here they are. You want to put your fingers on my side? Here it is. And there is a lot of love and patience for Thomas in that offer. Now, does Jesus challenge him? Yes, as a close friend who spent three years with him would. But he doesn't beat him over the head. Jesus comes to him and says, if this is what you need, here it is. And we, and I feel like we often lose sight of that. And so... Tonight, as we end, um, I want to give us all space. Um, I don't know what you're going through. If you are kind of processing a season of doubt right now, which if you are, I mean, we've been living in a global pandemic for two years. So there's a lot about the world right now that, I mean, would lead you to ask, to ask questions about the problem of evil and things like that. Um, so if you are, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, and I want to give you time, just a few minutes to express that to God, especially if you've never done it before. And you can do that in the form of prayer. You can, um, pull out your phone and open your notes app and kind of write it as a letter. Um, whatever works for you. Um, and if you're fortunate to not be experiencing doubt right now, I'm thrilled for you first of all. Um, but, but I want to give you the opportunity to take some time and do what David did in verses five and six and just praise God for who he is to you and how he is present in your life right now. Um, so I'm going to give us a few minutes. I'm going to play some music and um, let us just take some time to be with God.